It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Going, going, gone! Private investors are heading to commercial property auctions, so we tagged along to see if it really is a viable alternative to buy-to-let. Has oil hit bottom and started to bounce back? Our adventurous investor, David Stevenson, drops into the studio to say why he's dripping more money into resources stocks. And last but not least, BBC Moneybox presenter Paul Lewis will be giving us a maths lesson on why new auto-enrolment pensions don't quite add up. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues and columnists. As the Chancellor continues his crackdown on residential buy-to-let investments, could private investors make more money from buying a commercial property like a shop or a small office building instead? Many investors enter the sector via commercial property auctions, and I'm joined in the FT studio by James Pickford, Deputy Money Editor, who recently attended a big sale and has written all about his experiences for our cover feature this week. James, thanks for joining us today. So you survived the auction and sat on your hands all the way through to avoid bidding for a high street shop by accident. But what kind of investors did you meet and why do they like commercial property? That's right. I managed not to scratch my eyebrow at any point during the the proceedings. But yes, it was a very interesting, diverse crowd of of investors. There were retired people um, thinking of something to do with their savings. Uh, There were property developers. There were people bidding on behalf of others, um, clearly uh, with, with money to invest. There were overseas investors, uh, it it appeared. And um, they are all interested in investing in something which gives them a a steady stream of income Mm. uh, in in an ideal world where you have a a reliable commercial tenant who writes them four checks a year. These come in, there is much less uh, to be done than there typically there would be with a buy-to-let investment in terms of maintenance and so forth. Um, So, once they get into it, it's it's a pretty tr- attractive investment. Now, commercial property investors talk about the tax advantages, which have changed recently. What are they? Well, we've spoken on the FT Money podcast about uh, the introduction of uh, a new surcharge to stamp duty on second homes and buy-to-let. Mm. That isn't applicable on um, commercial property. So um, that just came in on April the 1st. So, so that's one way in which it differs from residential investment. But also... Um, the Chancellor has announced that from 2017, um, buy-to-let investors, their tax relief on mortgage interest payments will be limited. But that won't be the case for uh, investment in commercial property. And likewise, you can put commercial properties into private pensions, into SIPs, essentially, which you can't do with residential. No, you so can't. There are a number of uh, tax advantages there. 
So lots of things to think about. Why aren't more people doing it? Well, often people don't want to take a lot of income in the year. They might like the fact that uh, if they invest in residential property, they get slightly less income and more capital growth. Which for then, now. Yeah. Exactly. For, so, and that's because it, perhaps if you, if you do get a lot of income in, it pushes you into a higher tax bracket. But also it's a completely different kind of ball game. This is made clear by everyone I've spoken to on this. When you invest in a residential uh, property, the value of the property resides in its vacant possession. But with commercial property, so much is tied into the quality of the tenant, uh, the the lease you have. How long is it? How reliable is it? What break clauses are there? Are those checks going to be reliably coming in year after year? And the capital growth in commercial property has been patchier, uh, much much less reliable than uh, than in buy-to-let residential. Yeah, and certainly in your piece you talk also about the, the hidden dangers of business rates which um, fall back to the landlord if the, if the shop lies um, or office lies empty. Now one investor that you met at the auction told you a fascinating, if somewhat dubious tactic from days of old involving a tube of superglue. Explain. Well, this is um, what we call sailing close to the wind. Uh, <laughs> this is a property developer who would go seeking out uh, attractive properties that were coming up for auction he would go and view them and we're talking a long time ago here um sort of the 90s and so once he'd seen a property he liked um he would if he was on his own or if he wasn't he would come back later and um put a little bit of super glue into the lock uh, so that other people could uh, would would have trouble seeing it and and maybe the agent or, or would take a little while to figure out what was going on by which time it was too late and everyone would be rather surprised at auction when only one or two people put their hands up for the property um, but this does bring me on to the, the issue of how important it is to go and see a property before you bid for it at auction. And, and with commercial property, it often is at auction that, you, that, these, the, that people buy these properties. So that can be quite difficult often, especially if uh, a property has come onto the market by uh, a business going into administration. Mm. It's much harder and there's less time to get in there. Um, but it's really important that you look at the condition as well as all the legal aspects uh, of the lease and the economic uh, aspects. Is the property in the right place in the high street? Does it have car parking? Is it close to transport networks? How attractive is it for uh, a business, a, and ideally a big national brand name business, to go in there and, and really commit to that property? And two important words to remember, listeners, caveat emptor, buyer beware. You can't recourse to the auctioneer after the sale if you later find out there's something wrong with the property. So thanks there to James Pickford. You can read his full cover feature, which lifts the lid on commercial property auctions in FT Money this weekend. Still to come on the FT Money show, is auto-enrolment all it's cracked up to be? Before that, let's go back to black. David Stevenson, FT Money's adventurous investor columnist, argues this week that it's time for investors to consider inching back into some risky sectors, including oil. David, welcome to The Money Show. Hello, Claire. I'm going to start off with a very simple question. Oil, is it time? Look, I mean, do I think oil prices will probably carry on going down to about 35 or 30 after the, this weekend's Doha conference, um, where, the, where the, the oil community singularly failed to get an agreement on cutting supply because of the absence of one of the key players? Yes, I think oil prices will probably go a little bit lower. Do I think that we're in a trading range now, which is about 25, maybe 30, 30 to 25 to about 45? Yes. And and that's what really matters is, is that we might have found the bottom. Yeah. And, and the bottom probably, I'm guessing, might be about 27, 28. And 
what that matters for investors is, look, do I think if, if you've got a large amount of capital, should you just go wading into oil stocks and just go for it now? No. Inch in and uh, drip feed money in because the bottom of the cycle is clear. We're beginning to see a massive wave of capitulations in of big corporates in the US. There's a big US uh, professional services firm that does an analysis of, of bankruptcies and we're at peak level bankruptcies at the low moment. And it's typically at these moments when distress is at maximum levels and the corporate restructuring and M&A deals are happening that you get the most interesting equity plays. So now is the time to start investigating because you sort of know the range. Now, you suggest some specific plays mm. in your column. Tell mm. us briefly about them. Well, I've already written a column a couple of months ago just about some UK plays um, that are out there. And one of the things I was looking at in particular was companies with, which are unencumbered with debt. And I do think that's still a very important thing. And I think most of those stocks have done fairly well. So I think the next step is to have a look at big US unconventional oil and gas plays that have got fantastic reserves and are going to survive the the, the, the long winter, even though we're coming into summer, uh, the long winter <laughs> in economic terms of, of the US unconventional oil and gas industry. And I mentioned a couple of stocks in there, which are, which if people read the column, they'll be able to find out about. And they're, they're both quality players who've got big acreages in the big unconventional place, so that's usually around the Appalachian Mountains, and then there's the Permian Basin, and there's a bunch of stuff in the Midwest. A lot of these these guys have been buying massive, massive acreages. Now, that industry is not going away. That industry is going to rationalise. That industry is going to have a high cost of capital. There's going to be merger and acquisitions, boom, can be rationalisation. And really what you want to be is you want to be in the stocks that have got the biggest, best assets with half-decent balance sheets, because those are the guys who are going to be tomorrow's majors. And so I've got some suggestions there. And also, more generally, I think we're beginning to see the emergence of some fund managers opportunistically launching funds for kind of energy recovery stories. So the the fund which I talk about again, which is in the column this weekend, is a is a, a manager I've known for many years. He he was in another very successful series of investment trusts, and he's launched a, an oil opportunistic oil recovery fund. And I think the point about it is you've really got to know your stocks, yeah, and you've really got to know with the quality management, good balance sheets, and therefore if you can find a fund that is opportunistically playing in this space, now is the time to probably start putting money into it. That's not to say that the existing funds that are out there, and there's a couple of them out there, Artemis and Guinness, they both have a global energy fund. They'll do a good job for you as well because you've got good managers who sort of know what they're doing and stop picking. Okay, well, thanks very much. That was David Stevenson, the FT's adventurous investor columnist, and you can read his full column now on ft.com slash money or in FT Money this weekend as part of the Weekend FT, widely available on both Saturday and Sunday. Now, time for a maths lesson. The new legal requirement to opt in most employees into a workplace pension scheme, known as auto-enrolment, or AE, is a policy designed to minimise the pension shock that future generations will face if they fail to save enough for retirement in later life. I'm joined by Paul Lewis, the journalist and presenter of BBC Radio 4's Moneybox programme, who has been busy with his calculator to see if those numbers really add up. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Hello, Claire. In your column for FT Money this week, you're quick to say that you're not against the principle of auto-enrolment, but you think that some of the headline numbers being bandied around are misleading. Yes, I think they are. It's hard to be against auto-enrolment because everybody's paying into a pension. And of course, with the new rules, they'll be able to take it out and do what they like with it once they're in their sort of mid to late 50s. So that's all good. But I think the government particularly is guilty of misleading us by saying that, for example, when this is fully phased in, in in a couple of years, 8% of pay will be going into the pension. As I say in the column, 8% is actually 100% wrong. Yes, talk us through that figure. Well, it's 8% of a band of earnings. 
instead of 8% of your whole pay, it's 8% of a band that begins at £112 a week, that's about 5800 a year, and then it goes up to the higher rate tax threshold, 43000 a year. So because it's 8% of that band, and it's not 8% of anything below £5,800, it's not 8% of your whole pay. And if you do the calculations, it's very striking. The very, very most that could go in is 6.9%. And for people on, for example, the new so-called national living wage, mm. if they work 40 hours a week, which most of them work slightly less than that, it'll only be 4.9% of pay going in. And someone at the very bottom end, on 10,000 a year, 193 pounds a week, is just over 3% of their pay. Now, you're not going to get a decent pension for those tiny amounts. No, and particularly seeing as this is a scheme designed to catch um, lower income workers who aren't paying into a fully fledged company pension scheme, which brings me on to your second criticism, which is to do with the division of what the employee pays in compared to what the employer then tops it up by. Tell me you're working out. Well, in the past, it's always been the case that the employer, the boss, if you like, always pays in much more than the employee, the worker. Um, if you look at really good schemes like that pay you a pension related to your salary, the boss is paying in nearly 16% of your pay and the worker about 5%. But in this auto-enrolment scheme, that is completely reversed. I mean, the amounts obviously are much smaller, but the key thing is the employer, the boss, is paying in 3% and the employee is paying in 5%. And those, of course... are are lower than that for the reasons I gave earlier, but those are the nominal amounts. So the division switches round. It's the worker who pays in the biggest share and the boss who pays in the smaller share. And that seems to me to be undermining the principle of pensions, which is really it's deferred pay. So the person who's paying you should be paying in the most. Indeed, and something that most people probably won't find out until decades have, have gone past and they realise there's less in their pension pot than they perhaps hope. But the final lesson of your column, however, is that if you are auto-enrolled into a pension, in most cases, you should stick with it. Well, yes, stick with it because, I mean, look, you're getting tax relief so the taxpayer's making a bit of a contribution. You're getting your employer's contribution, which may not be as big as I'd like, but at least it's there. So you're only paying in about half, maybe, personally, out of your taxed income, what goes in. So whatever you get out is, is going to be a bonus. And, of course, nowadays, under pension freedom, once you're in your, your mid to late 50s, you'll be free to take the whole lot out if you want. So you can get it back, and you've got this tax advantage of paying it in. But anyone who thinks that auto-enrolment payments are going to get them a decent pension is, I'm afraid, fooling themselves. It won't, but at least it will give you something that can help you a bit towards your retirement. Well, thanks very much. That was, of course, Paul Lewis, and you can read his full column now at ft.com slash money and in FT Money this weekend. We'd love to know what you think about buying commercial property at auction, the potential resurgence of resources stocks, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email, our address, money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in FT Money this weekend. 
Are fund managers spending too much of your money on the golf course? We investigate. And the taxman received top billing after a landmark legal victory against film tax avoidance schemes last week. We pour over the details. Plus, we have the latest share tips and director's deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show was produced and edited in London by Adam Palin. We will be back next week at our new regular publication time of 6am on Thursday mornings, London time, ready for your commute into work. But now it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.